When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where today we're going to talk about resting on the Sabbath and also about Catherine of Siena, who had a very, very unusual wedding ring. Wait till you hear about it. All right, here we go. Today's Friday, a day of typical rejoicing in the work week schedule. People TGIF, thank God it's Friday, or thank goodness it's Friday, I'm not really sure. The popular restaurant chain TGI Fridays is a testament to how important the celebration of Friday is to people. You can imagine um, a world where uh, Saturday was a day of rest. And this is what is indicated in the story in Exodus 16, that um, the establishment of the Sabbath for the people of God in the wilderness is a very important part of their development. Sabbath just means the seventh day. It doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't have any specific religious significance. It does now in English and in Hebrew, but um, then it just meant seven, the seventh day, Saturday, um, as we would say. Our Saturday is named after Saturn, the god or planet, um, Saturn's day, as all of our um, days of the week lend themselves to different gods' names, Thor's day, Freya's day, and Saturn's day. Um, but the Sabbath was just the seventh day. And it's hard to know what the people of God knew about creation. These are the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Exodus is the second book of Moses. People are somewhat cynical about Moses being able to write these books since Deuteronomy records Moses' own death. But you know, lots of books are written and people fill in the details about the author's death later. And so it's totally possible that Moses, a very literate, educated person, could write this. Um, Jesus himself refers to these books as Moses' writings or Moses' sayings. Didn't Moses tell you, he says? Um, and so the stories of creation are definitely embedded in the community even though they haven't been written down yet, but they are there, that the pattern of creation is that God created, said, let there be light, and then each day of creation has its own theme, and own, its own uh, event of creation. But on the seventh day, it says, God rested. And this is the basis of the Sabbath, the seventh day being a day of rest. Um. When Christians began to celebrate the, uh, and, and worship together, they celebrated on the Sabbath day. On the Sabbath day, there would be special prayers and observances in the temple and in synagogues. And so that was their day of worship. But pretty soon there became, and right away, um, the Sabbath was a day of worship as Christians worshiped in the 
regular synagogues as they were Jewish people and the synagogues were for Jewish people. And they went, and even the God-fearers who converted, the Gentiles who were going to synagogue who converted to Christianity, they also would have gone to the synagogue on the Sabbath. But the establishment of worshiping on Sunday goes back to the very earliest day of Christianity. Um, We know that the disciples gathered in the upper room the Sunday after the resurrection, and that's where Jesus appears to them. So they're already meeting to gather. It's not necessarily a worship gathering just yet, but this commemoration of Sunday as the Lord's resurrection day is a really big deal for Christians from day one and still is. We gather on Sundays because it's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. The celebration of the resurrection of Jesus trumps any other observance. No matter what feast day or holy day it is, the resurrection's the biggest deal in the whole world. And so we have to get special permission from the bishop um, to celebrate other feast days like Joan of Arc Day and things like that on the day um, outside of certain seasons. Uh, And that is because the Sabbath is not Sunday, and Sunday is not the Sabbath. Now, as Christians gained more territory and more political clout and authority, um, they were able to, in order to get people to have time to go to church, which was often compulsory, it was mandatory in many places in Christendom, um, as it was in England uh, up until quite recently, um, the mandatory church attendance to give people a day off to do that was very important. So um, Sundays being a day of rest became part of the tradition. And then the transference of Sunday becoming the, the Sabbath became a thing. Often uh, in Reformed Christianity, the Reformation brought about a new renewal of people wanting to make Sunday the market day of the soul, just like you go to market day on Saturday and sell your wares. Uh, Sunday becomes the market day of the soul where you don't do any work, but you go to church and listen to very long sermons and in the evening as well. Um, And that became the Reformed Sabbath. Reformed um, Christians or Presbyterians and others are very big on keeping the Sabbath, keeping Sunday um, as a day of rest. Anglicans have sort of gone back and forth between those two positions over the years. We still believe in the Episcopal Church that Saturday is the Sabbath. Um, Saturday is the day of rest. It's the seventh day of creation. And our collect for Saturdays in the prayer book indicates that. I don't know if you ever pray morning prayer on Saturdays, um, but if you do, you'll pray the collect for Saturday. That makes it very clear that today is a day of, or Saturday is a day of rest, a day to prepare for, for the busy actions of Sunday. Worship is work in the sense that we put effort into it. Um, it's not work in the sense that we do it for some economic gain or something like that, but it's work in that um, it is our duty as Christians, as, as children of God, to express our thanks and praise to God, to hear his holy word and to receive the sacrament of his body and blood. And that's our duty and work of Sunday. Um, so, and yet, even in this, um, even with these colics and beliefs, in the catechism, there is a little bit of indication that Sunday might be um, the actual Sabbath for, for Episcopalians. 
for the catechism says on the commandment to, to keep the Sabbath. Um, let's see. Um, I think that the commandment is the fourth commandment. Um, in cate- the catechism on page 847, it says, um, to set aside regular times for worship, prayer, and the study of God's ways. So in the catechism, it kind of points to the fact that Sunday is the Sabbath, day of rest, um, even though it doesn't say rest there. So even the prayer book is still, even though it's a little fuzzy on that one point about worshiping on Sunday and on the Sabbath, the consistent theme of the prayer book is that Saturdays are a day of rest. And you really should rest if you can on Saturday. Now, Christians haven't always been able to rest on Saturdays. We have not always been able to control our schedules. Um, certainly in the Roman Empire, um, the Friday was sort of their day off. And so Christians worshiping on Sunday didn't have a day off on Sunday. So they met at night um, after a long day's work. Um, and so the ability to rest on the Sabbath has not always been something that Jews or Christians have been able to do um, throughout our history. And that is why when Jesus reinterpreted the commandments, when he was here on earth, he took all the commandments, worshiping God, he took the commandments on not making graven images, and, and in the Sermon on the Mount, he takes down all these commandments and, and fulfills them, shows how he is the fulfillment of them. And when he comes to the Sabbath, he says this, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We are to primarily, as Christians, rest in Jesus, especially if we can't set aside a day of rest for ourselves and those we love. Um, if we can't do that, we rest in Jesus because he is our Sabbath rest. The book of Hebrews also re, re, um, restates that, that he is our Sabbath rest. Rest in Jesus. Christians, Jesus knew that his followers were going to be living in places that didn't give them time off for their days of rest and days of worship. Um, and so Jesus says that to us. Rest in Jesus. Give your burdens to him. He can handle it. He can help you get that kind of rest that you need that is beyond just doing nothing. Um, that kind of rest that your soul needs. That is what he offers to his followers. But it's a thing that was established here in the wilderness. And the problem of Sabbath, the problem of rest, is that we think that if we, don't, if we rest, we won't have enough. If we don't hustle and don't get everything done, that we won't have enough. And the, the, the story here in Exodus reminds us that when they gathered the, the bread on, or the manna on Friday, that, um, that there was enough for the next day, that they didn't have to work. And that is true. When we trust God and we say, God, I don't know if I'll have enough, but I'm going to trust you that I can rest because I need it. And you know I need it. God will give you what you need. That Sabbath rest is promised to the people of God. It is rest primarily in Jesus, but also rest on the seventh day, on the Sabbath. They were told not to boil anything, not to cook anything, not to bake anything, just to eat the manna that had been prepared the Friday before. Um, this is the, the, the same practice that Jews still observe today. If you go to Israel, they have the Sabbath setting on the elevators um, the Sabbath setting, and some New York apartments have this too, that on the Sabbath, 
Um, the elevator goes to each floor. You don't ever have to push any buttons because that's making fire. That is um, against the, the prohibition to make fire on the Sabbath or turning lights on and off on the Sabbath is also prohibited by many Jewish communities. Um, and Christians, we don't really follow that because our rest is in Jesus, but we remember that echo that is in the, the Jewish faith even today, that is in our faith too, that there is a day of rest that we need. And God knows that and established that in creation, in the, sto- in the story of the creation of the world. And then again, as the people go into the wilderness. So I hope you get some rest tomorrow on Saturday. I try to take a day of rest, um, even though I'm always getting ready for Sunday um, on Saturdays. Um, I try to, to do something fun. I try to, to do nothing on, uh, for certain moments of the day, to try to get that Sabbath rest um, that ultimately comes through knowing Jesus, that Jesus has got us. He's going to take care of us, that we are in him and he is in us. We are in union with Christ and that union is unbreakable. There's nothing that can stop that. Amen. Have mercy on us, Lord, have mercy. Lord, show us your love and mercy, for we put our trust in you. In you, Lord, is our hope, and we shall never hope in vain. Today, the church remembers Catherine of Siena. Um, thankful for her life. Catherine of Siena, um, we have a church in our diocese named after her, Catherine of Siena, which is a wonderful thing um, to have. She was born uh, during the ravages of what is now known as the Black Death um, and has other names as well, um, the 14th century um, plague that kept running around the world um, as Europe was slightly more connected during that time. Outbreaks of plague and Black Death um, were quite common. There was lots of, um, lots of theories on why, how this disease spread. Um, one of the working theories at the time was that Jews were spreading this disease. Um, Again, another scapegoating of a group of people unfairly um, for the spread of this disease. We can see how we who have survived two years of pandemic here in this country um, have seen that same kind of scapegoating happening. But that was the world Catherine was born into. Um, many of her siblings died in, child, in, in their childhood from the plague. Um, and she was raised in a, I believe, a large family. I think there was 22 kids in the family. Um, yeah, half of the, the, her siblings had died. Um, but um, she grew up in this large family um, that was very, a very devout family and understood the, um, the, the, the following Christ um, meant something different for every person. Um, And for her, it meant that when she was five or six years old, um, on her way to visit a married sister, I guess who was much older than her, uh, she had a vision where Christ was seated in glory with the apostles, Peter, Paul, and John. Um, And at around age seven, she vowed to give her whole life to God. 
Um, that may seem really early, but I don't know about you, but I think there are a lot of kids that have spiritual and mystical experiences as children. They don't always know what they're all about or why or how, but um, I think that um, Jesus, as he said, you have to become younger to be a follower of his, um, that children often embody the real faith that we are seeking as grown-ups in a deeper way. And so she gave her life to God. When she was 16, her older sister died in childbirth, and um, she found out that her parents had worked it out where she was supposed to marry her sister's uh, husband, her sister's widow, widower. She was absolutely opposed to this. She started what might be called a hunger strike or a strict fast um, to protest this injustice. Um, she refused to eat, um, and she disappointed her mother further by cutting off her long hair um, to be less attractive to anyone and to resist this, this kind of marriage that she did not want. Um, later in life, she said that during this time, she built a cell inside her mind. She built a box, a cell, a place to live inside her mind. And no matter what was happening around her, she could live in that inner cell. And in that inner cell was her father, who was, a rep was represented by Christ, and her mother by the Blessed Virgin Mary. Um, that's kind of, and her brothers into the apostles. And that's sort of that vision of her family, serving her family as serving Christ and the apostles, was the way she was able to um, resist the, the turmoil around her that was happening as the world was being reshaped and remade by lots of forces, not just the plague and other things. Um, finally, she was granted permission by her parents to join a convent and she became a Dominican nun and lived there. She involved herself with the politics of the world, um, advising kings and popes and everybody else. She was named a doctor of the church um, later, um, long after her death, but her wisdom was recognized by church leaders as well. She gave away so much of her stuff, that she, little what she had, her clothing was constantly being given away and they had a hard time keeping her clothed because she kept giving away as clothing was a very sought-after commodity. Um, and she gave away her food. Um, she had a uh, mystical marriage to Jesus, as she describes in her own writing. Um, and a, a, a controversial aspect of this moment is that she, um, it, to solidify her marriage, um, as we do today with wedding rings, or in those days with jewelry, sometimes rings, sometimes other jewelry. The modern wedding ring, wedding band, is a very modern invention um, that is very recent, as are diamond engagement rings, extremely recent, like within living people's lifetimes that became a thing. Um, but it, there was a gift exchanged in marriage. Um, but um, she claims and this is a sort of a version of her life story, which we're not sure the accuracy of it, that her wedding ring was the, um, the foreskin of Jesus on her finger. I don't know. I'll just leave that there for you to read about um, later. 
Um, so her mystical experience of Jesus, not just with that, but also with um, the crucifixion is very medieval, as we might imagine, but um, also um, connected to him in his suffering as she experienced it as a nun and as a woman in that time, being um, subject to the whims and changes and chances of other people's um, visions for her. She received the stigmata in 1375, those wounds of Christ. Um, and uh, she traveled, and it, like I said, advising popes and other political figures. Um, she began to fast um, on simply the communion meal uh, for several years and died of complications from that kind of diet. Um, and her life, to me, is um, both a story of devotion and piety to God and what it means to follow Jesus in a time of great turmoil when she had very little control of her own life. She was able to take control by building that cell in her mind. And one of the ways she did that was through fasting at a very young age. Um, we might see this today as disordered eating um, and, and the other effects of that. Um, and yet we know through history, people that have had very little control over their bodies and life, prisoners and others, um, have turned to hunger strikes or fasting to, to find freedom in that. And so maybe it's better to see her uh, more as a prisoner um, than, as a, than as someone who is um, a diagnosable eating disorder. Um, hard to know, but she eventually had strokes from her abstinence, um, and, and that killed her at the age of 33, um, the same age that Jesus was when he died. And she said her final words, Father, into your hands I commend my soul and my spirit. So for me, Catherine is someone that we hold up as an example of how to live in this world, subject to all the forces that come against us, um, finding our own little cell in our mind where God is with us, even though it seems like we have very little control. At the same time, to recognize that sometimes we need to listen to people that um, care for us, care for our bodies. Caring for our bodies is a good thing, to take care of our bodies, to go to the doctor. We often, in, the, this, in this world, we talk about our bodies as if there's something other than us. I talk about my body failing me or my body having a problem or taking care of my body as if it's like something other than me, when in fact it is me and we are our bodies um, in all their glorious um, splendor in that God made us with bodies and we ought to take care of them as best we can. Um, so I want to emphasize that about her life as well, that um, resting on the Sabbath, which includes eating good food, is also a spiritual um, discipline that God calls us to in that way. And I know you all understand that, but I just always feel like I need to say that um, out loud. So we pray this prayer, everlasting God, you so kindled the flame of holy love in the heart of blessed Catherine of Siena, as she meditated on the passion of your son, our savior, that she devoted her life to the poor and the sick and to the peace and unity of the church. Grant that we may also share in the mystery of Christ's death and rejoice in the revelation of his glory, 
who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We pray a collect for Friday on page 99. Almighty God, whose most dear Son went not up to joy, but first he suffered pain and entered not into glory before he was crucified, mercifully grant that we, walking in the way of the cross, may find it none other than the way of life and peace. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Page 101. Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love on the hard wood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you. For the honor of your name. Amen.